Our children are dismissed so they can continue their time of worship. I'm a little behind the times, but I recently had the privilege of watching a movie for the first time, Enchanted, um, a 2007 classic. Enchanted is a story where fantasy meets reality, where there are Disney meadows and castles and princesses meets modern romantic comedy. It's a story of Giselle Giselle is an animated, soon-to-be princess who finally meets her Prince Charming, but is then dramatically transported by a wicked queen into the land where there are no happily ever afters, New York City. Now in human flesh, Giselle remains the chipper, naive Disney princess. And you can't help but laugh as the differences between fairy tales and reality become extremely apparent as she wanders the city streets, assuming all old men are friendly, viewing animals, even rats, as friends and helpers, and breaking out into song in Central Park. Now, um, that story um, reminded me of one of my most beloved literary characters that I was introduced to when I lived um, for a semester in Spain in college. In my studies, I fell in love with Cervantes' classic tale of the valiant in his own mind, Don Quixote. Written in Spain's golden age, Cervantes tells the tale of Alonso Quijano, a man living in the countryside who loves medieval tales of chivalry and adventure and honor. This man, Alonzo, reads so many books, so many romance novels, that he becomes convinced that he is, in fact, a knight, a knight named Don Quixote, living his own medieval romance novel. He believes he's called to save the world, and he sets off on adventures with his bony horse, who he sees as a noble steed, Rocinante, and his neighbor, Sancho, who he sees as his squire, companion, and bodyguard, fully believing that rather than just being a regular countryman, he is a celebrity in his own mind. The novel is full of comical scenes where this man, believing he's a knight, totally misunderstands the world all around him. He mistakes windmills to be giants, attacking them with swords, He takes on armies only to find out they're actually sheep. And he frees oppressed gentlemen who are actually prisoners meant to be locked up. It is a hilarious and tragic journey as you watch Don Quixote live out these beloved fantasy tales of knights and princesses amidst the commonplace of small town life. Both of these stories highlight the stark differences between beloved tales of romance, adventure, and happy endings, and the daily ins and outs of real life. Watching Quixote and Giselle walk that line between fantasy and reality are not far from our challenge every Sunday in Eastertide, as we bring out these beloved Easter texts and place them in the midst of our own reality. For they can sometimes feel a little bit like animated movies. The valiant savior, Jesus, appearing, standing bravely amidst the crowd with a handsome grin. While the silly, goofy disciples rejoice for their side has wound up victorious in the end. 
It's a happy ending, happily ever after. Cue the music and the dancing and the credits. It's a great image, a beloved story after a really intense Holy Week. And yet, the reality is, is that on that one Sunday of Easter, in our tradition, everyone pours into the church in their Easter finest. Everyone walks back home, puts on their regular clothes, and lives in their normal life. We walk back to our normal, a normal that doesn't always feel like a happy ending just because it's Easter. There doesn't seem to be an ending at all, nevertheless always a happy one. We go back to work on Monday, and we are left to wonder, can we live as resurrection people when Holy Week actually seems more of our reality? For Holy Week and Lent are often the most realistic. It's during Lent we get out burlap, other materials that are sort of more commonplace. We forego the trumpets and the alleluias for a time, and we focus on being honest and gritty. For hearing the real struggles of Jesus, and for naming those that we face in our own lives. So we read texts, and we can relate to temptation, to wishing that we could just solve all our problems with the flick of a wand. We can relate to betrayal, to when life doesn't go as we thought it would. We can relate to disappointment, to not holding fast enough to the things that really matter. Lent can feel so authentic and relatable that sometimes the idea of living in the joy of resurrection can feel like we're trying to be Giselle, parading around in the midst of a Good Friday world, turning a blind eye to the hurt that continues to exist on Easter morning. That living as resurrection people is supposed to be phrases like everything happens for a reason and other things that are thrown around just to simply wish away something that we actually can't explain. And it's during those days when prayer mounts on prayer without a happy ending in sight that I fear that those unable to resonate with the joy of resurrection will find the church's alleluias to be irrelevant and unrealistic, that God's presence is as realistic as a happily ever after from the movies. And in truth, when Easter joy feels like a far cry, fear can plant itself within us. What if we are living like Alonzo Quijano, gallivanting around as something we are not, proclaiming a resurrection when in truth it is all an illusion, all fantasy like the skeptics argue? I had the misfortune this year to walk all the way through Holy Week and totally miss out on Easter. Uh, It was just my luck that on Saturday night, I was attacked by a horrible stomach bug that took me out of commission for many days in a row and making attendance at our three Easter services a complete pipe dream. So during Easter this year, I did more watching of the world than perhaps living in it. My Facebook news feed was full of Easter tidings, brightly colored dresses, and children holding eggs as if it was trying to rub it in my face that I didn't feel well. And if I were an anthropologist looking back on our culture with only Facebook as my guide, I would conclude that Easter is a time where everyone smiles and looks nice. Easter is a day of happily ever after in pastel colors. And although I love that, if we are not careful, can that image, smiles on our faces, become the image of resurrection? 
is that what looking, living as resurrection people really looks like? Was that how the disciples felt in that locked room when Jesus appeared? After Jesus shares with them the Holy Spirit, did they go hunting for eggs, put on their Easter best, celebrate happily ever after? Without realizing it, can our cultural traditions, though wonderful, turn a complex story of suffering and fear and revolution into an animated tale of good guys and bad guys and happily ever after? And in so doing, has the reality of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection become too much fantasy in our own minds and not enough reality? So for several Sundays later, we come back to our Easter text and we look again. We try our best to be a fly on the wall. Through study and sermon, we try to place ourselves in their shoes. And we attempt to work past our hindsight bias, for we do know that this moment in that locked room when Jesus appears, it gives birth to revered scripture and traditions and people sitting here today transformed by that moment. And all of it shapes our understanding when we go to the text, for it loads it with meaning. But it can also distort our hearing of it, I fear. For we can find ourselves merely brushing off the disciples as one manufactured one-dimensional characters. Oh, disciples, do not fear. Silly Thomas, don't doubt but believe. So we do our best to open the text and place ourselves there in that locked room. We play out what the disciples are thinking and saying and remembering. There are moments of abandoning their leader, watching him die an agonizing death on the cross, and probably questioning everything. Was it all an illusion, a fantasy? And in that place of confusion and grief and questioning, Jesus appears. Not as some valiant prince from a fairy tale, but as one showing the wounds of his darkest night, the evidence of the pain that he has endured as people tried their best to take him down. Like a sponsor coming to one dealing with addiction, not telling them everything will be fine, but telling their story of struggle. But yet standing there as a survivor, those wounds on a living, resurrected body. Peace be with you, he says. Three times, peace. And I have to believe that he meant more than just, oh, calm down. Kind of a quieting of the applause from the disciples. For notice that although John writes at the end that Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, there are very few words he includes that he said. Those ones that must have lived on in the passing down of the story. Peace be with you. So it has to be more than just some flimsy kind of peace. It's a resurrection peace, unlike any other. Not one of ignorance or illusion or inexperience, but peace from the one who shows us that the loud voices of hate will always be outdone by the soft whispers of love, a love more powerful and stronger than anything the world can throw at it, even death. Peace coming from Christ is the peace that has the capacity to free us from fear, the greatest enemy of love, the no to God's yes. Jesus grants peace, fear's kryptonite, 
its downfall. And then Jesus sends them back out into the world, empowered to live as those freed from fear's paralyzing spell. Peace be with you. As my Father has sent me, so I send you. And we believe, as followers of Christ, that these sacred words transcend time and place so that they are the words to us in this room, in this time and place. In light of the resurrection, you are freed from fear. To live with peace and be sent by God just as Jesus has been sent. Which isn't end happily ever after. But back into Holy Week, for that is where God sent Jesus. God sent Jesus into the places where radical love was absent. Where God's form of love was countercultural, and where it butted heads with our traditional ideas of what it means to be successful. Resurrection does not only call us into a sanctuary on Easter morning, but it calls us right out back into the world. Resurrection calls us to live without our eyes on the gleaming idols of riches and fame and the world's affection, but to live loving one's neighbor enough that it makes you seem odd. Resurrection calls us to live in such a way that the world will tell us no, but we will live confident in God's yes. So in Eastertide, we must not simply sing of the joyous reveal of Jesus without recognizing his call for us to be bearers of his message, so that each day we may ask ourselves, are we living in such a way that is radically inclusive enough for people to want to kill our efforts? And are we sacrificial enough to let them try to take us down? Not to change our course the moment we meet conflict or resistance or feel our own fear? And not in a passive way, as if being sent by God means being a doormat to be walked all over, but to be so committed to love God and to love your neighbor And so bold enough to trust that God will provide a way to do it even when it isn't easy. Can we face the realities of Holy Week with the confidence that God's love is stronger than all the hurdles we will face? To continue to love as Christ did even when fear attempts to stop us. Last month, um, I sat in my office with a youth and heard about the troubles of what it's like to live as one oppressed by the pains of bullying. I heard stories of name-calling, of dirty looks, of isolation, the consequence of being different in high school. And it's not a new story. It's not new to this person or to teenagers really throughout the ages. And as I sat with him and I heard his story... I felt paralyzed and powerless, for I knew that it was a situation of which I could do little. For I am not there when this beloved child of God is made to feel worthless. And I am not there to scold those who are doing the bullying and to dispel those hurtful words as lies. I cannot tell the youth to just not let the words damage him, for the old sticks and stones mantra is not even close to reality. In that moment, it all felt out of my control. And the feeling of defeat that he felt was infectious. 
So I asked, well, have you tried praying? The answer was yes, but not anymore because it didn't seem to help. And it's in those moments, as a minister, as a Christian, that the last thing that I want to be for this youth is some animated fairy tale character, reassuring that everything will just be fine. If you pray enough, the bullying will stop. And in his pain, I probably appear more of one fooled into believing some imaginary world of fantasy than one in touch with life in high school. And yet, I cling to a resurrected Christ who knows the pains of betrayal and abandonment, for that is the story of the cross. And that it is through Jesus' darkest nights that love comes to life. So, unaware of what else I could say to him, aloud in my office, I closed our conversation with the words of Psalm 69, moving it from first person to third person. So I prayed aloud with him. I said, Save him, O God, for the waters have come up to his neck. His eyes grow dim, waiting for you, his God. More in number than the hairs of his head are those who hate him without cause. Answer him. Draw him near to you. Redeem him. And I sent him back out into the world, back on his Lenten journey, walking through his Holy Week. For even if I could wish it all away for him, even if I could be there to stop all those incidents, that's not the way that God sent Jesus. And it's not the way that Jesus sends us to be bearers of the message. Living with the hope of the resurrection means walking back straight into those struggles that we have in life, but with a tool that changes everything, the peace of Christ. The peace that has the power to disarm fear and hatred in others and in ourselves. The peace that gives us strength to make it through hard days and the darkest nights. The peace that saves, redeems, and resurrects those paralyzed by fear in locked rooms in all places and in all times, now and forevermore. Should today be the day that you want to receive peace through committing to be a Christ follower or to join this community of faith as we walk through our struggles hand in hand, reassuring one another when we need it of the peace that changes everything. It's our tradition that in our final hymn, you can come forward to share that decision with our church. Now to the one who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish far more than all we could ask or even imagine. To God, may we give our worship and our praise and our lives. Amen.